Episode 63. Wait. <laughs> okay. Episode 63, Halo Podcast. Anything that you make an, an idol out of, that you, you find your sense of, of, of life and satisfaction and fulfillment apart from Jesus Christ, you will eventually serve that thing because you have to feed it. If life is what you're after, how about finding it from the God who defeated death? Welcome to Halo, engaging you, the reflective woman, in soul care, spirituality, and social spaces through the grid of God's grace. Here, it's all about relationships. Hey, love. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Welcome. I'm your host, Carthy Masters, and I want to talk to you about a lesson I've been learning lately. You can see by the title of this episode that there's a theme that's sort of Easter-ish, so that seems timely, but I think it would have been the title even if it didn't happen to fall on this most redemptive of holidays, because that's where I happen to be in my journey through life right about now. We're going to talk about how when you put to death a modern-day idol like, say, the need for approval, it makes a whole lot of space for new life. I'll tell you how that's played out for me, how death turned to life. Maybe you can relate to parts of my story. Today, I'm also going to be playing a part of a sermon preached by a beloved teacher from my town who talks about his own approval idol. Ties in really well. First of all, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a numbers girl. I'm not necessarily good with numbers, but I do notice them from time to time. For instance, I noticed that this happens to be episode 63, and when I read that just now, I I remembered 1963 happens to be the year that I was born. I realize that might sound like the Stone Age to you. (laughs) It does sound kind of far back there. And I've confessed to you before that I've dealt with what counselors might call a little bit of an approval addiction since, well, about 1963, since the day I was born, basically. I used to call myself an approval whore, but I don't, I don't do that anymore. When I do find myself getting sucked into that vortex, though, of needing approval to feel worthy of, Worthy of what? Of love, of taking up space in the universe, of just existing on planet Earth. I know better what to do now. I've learned some skills and I know how to deal, but I still do have to face it and wrestle with it from time to time. This podcast, for instance, it's been such good medicine for me, but it can also make me weak in the knees. And what I mean by that is this. Basically, I love this podcast. It's a labor of love. It's all good. But I feel that I need to confess to you that there are times when I feel like I'm not always doing this out of love for you or thinking of your best, like what you need to hear, but what makes me look good or smart or holy or something. That is so hard to even say out loud, but it's true. There have been times lately that I felt pulled or pushed to place my identity in this, in this podcast, instead of in Christ. Practically speaking, it's like this. Here's an example of how this is playing out right now. In fact, I've told myself that when it comes to this podcast, I'm not going to concern myself with the numbers as far as the number of subscribers or whatever. But I had to give some figures to a potential sponsor. 
You may remember some time ago, I told you about this guy. He wanted to run ads here. He had listened to my podcast and apparently liked it. He was impressed with the quality and the content. He complimented me and Blair on several things, and he sounded really confident that we'd be a good fit for his new product. It sounded like a sure thing, the way this guy was talking, but after a string of emails back and forth, he asked me how many subscribers we have, and you know, he kind of suspected that we had like, I don't know, thousands or tens of thousands, and after I told him how many we had, he politely told me, oh, no thanks, um, this isn't where we're going to, we're going to go elsewhere. See, here's the thing. He was surprised because he expected us to have all these listeners. We only, and when I told him we have just over a thousand subscribers, which I get, you got to know when we first learned that we had that many subscribers, we were so excited. I had happy feet all morning long. I was dancing around the kitchen. And then this person, a perfect stranger tells me that wasn't enough. And I let it ruin my day. It totally robbed my joy. Isn't that wild? So like within a couple of hours, it went from dancing around the house. Oh my gosh, Blair, can you believe we're up to a thousand listeners? We need to throw a party to all of a sudden, I am the biggest loser. Nobody's out there. Why am I even doing this? Who even cares about my podcast? A thousand listeners, that's nothing. Christy Knuckles gets an arena full of new subscribers every time she walks in the door. I know. I know I'm not supposed to compare myself to other people, but I'm a four, and envy is the curse of the Enneagram Four. Uh, So anyway, since then, since getting rejected by the sponsor that I never had, I confess to you that I have found myself in a moment of weakness several times, ready to submit to my insecurity in some really stupid ways recently where I felt really tempted to just say or do something to make you think, wow, she is so awesome. So it sounds so sick. It's so self-absorbed. I know. Well, Rob Sweet said something recently. He's the one whose sermon I'm talking about. And as I was listening to the sermon in church, I was like, I've got to use this. I've got to hear this again and again. Rob is the head pastor at my church here in town, and I have the utmost respect for him because he's brutally honest about his own weakness. He said in this message that when it goes from doing something out of genuine love to doing something out of a desire to impress his audience or gain their approval, that's when it's that's when it becomes ugly. It's a sin then because it becomes all about me. It's no longer me doing something for you out of love at that point. So for the times that I've done that here, love, I'm sorry. The cool thing is the window of time between the conviction and the turning or the repentance is getting smaller all the time. I really see it shrinking. It's so cool. The Lord is such a gentleman when he convicts one of his children. He's been so gentle with me. He gets me back on track. I can feel him leading me back to love as my motivation. It's got to come from a place of love. So what do you do when you have a moment of weakness, when you feel tempted by your idol? Do you know which one your main idol is? I want you to hear an excerpt from this sermon that I'm talking about. After you listen to it, maybe you'll have a better idea of what your main idol might be. Um, Rob's going to give us ways to turn away from our idols, some ways that we can repent of them and why we'll want to do that, how that leads to real life. 
The excerpt from the sermon is about 15 minutes long, and then I'll want to close out the conversation with you on the back end. Rob is talking here about the Apostle Paul's experience in Greece as he wrote about it in Acts, where there were just about as many statues of gods as there were people. Rob pulls a theme out of the passage that I did not see, and he likens the statues to pretty glasses and crystal goblets that can't hold any water. He actually had some of those on stage as he was delivering the sermon, and I, for one, was a nervous wreck because Rob moves around a lot, and at one point he even moved the podium with a tall vase that was actually full of water. It was the only one that could hold water, but he never spilled a drop, and he did a great job demonstrating for us the frustration that one can feel when one is trying desperately to drink life-giving water from an empty, dead container. It was a great illustration. I'll link to the sermon so that you can watch it on on video, too. Here's Rob Sweet. Paul is essentially saying they're attributing to these lifeless statues things that belong to the one true God alone. So imagine, um, you know, everybody in the room knows a songwriter probably, right? We're in a land of songwriters. And imagine you have a best friend songwriter. They write this killer song. Some other guy, you know, steals it and, you know, attributes it to themselves. And it blows up on the charts and makes all the money and, you know, has all the acclaim. And the other guy gets the credit. You'd be provoked, you know. It's like, that's not right. That's not fair. Paul's got passion for God's glory. Secondly, he's got passion for the people of Athens. Paul knows there's no life in those statues. The things that you worship are the things that you think you're going to get something from, right? The things that you think have life for you is what you end up worshiping. They're worshiping the wrong thing. So they're, they're not getting what they're looking for. Paul knows this. I think he's got passion for them as well. There's one theme that Paul develops throughout the message. The theme is life. Life, L-I-F-E. Why did he base his message on this theme? Acts chapter 17. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, quote, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. What a great intro. Paul knows what he's doing. He's, he's connecting to his audience, and he's like, he's stirring them. He's like, well, what are you talking about? You know something we don't know. Oh, silly Jewish man. You, you know, you see? This unknown God is fascinating. There were so many gods and altars and statues all over Athens that they were probably afraid they would miss somebody they didn't know about. So someone said, you know, let's chisel this one to an unknown God. And that way, you know, if he ever shows up sometime, we'll say, hey, you know, we didn't leave you out. Don't be angry at us. Don't blow up our city. You know, here you are. We just didn't know your name. All right, that's probably what's going on here. And Paul's grabbing onto this and he's saying, let me tell you about this one that you sense is out there, but you don't know his name. So let's, let's listen to Paul unpack uh, next, and you're going to hear this, this theme of life right away. Verse 24. The God, singular, who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth. You see how just completely comprehensive Paul's being here as he's talking about Yahweh. Does not dwell in temples made with hands. Okay, let's unpack this. Paul starts with creation. 
i.e. life. He's saying anything and everything that there is, all life around you, everything animated, everything inanimated was created by the one true God. Since this God is creator, everything that exists has its origin in him and is therefore dependent on him. And by the way, he doesn't need you to make him a house. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what about the temple? The temple of God is where? It's in believers through the Spirit. And God never needed a house to begin with. The period of the temple is, was, was never necessary for God's survival. That was a, for a period of time a precursor to what we now experience as Christians. Here's the context of this. Paul's saying this in view of that Parthenon where there's that big statue to Athena, the, the, the patron goddess of Athens. There were servants that would put out food for these statues, Athena and others, to eat. Of course, nothing would ever disappear, so then they would take that at the end of the day and they'd put new food. and uh, they, they would you know, clean and, and, and bathe the gods when they would get dusty or maybe get dirt on them. And, and what Paul is basically saying is, if you have to feed and clothe and build a house and care for your God, there's no life in that God. How powerful is that God? Now, look, look at verse 25, because he's really going to drill this point home. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. See, you don't have to give him food. He doesn't need your food. In fact, he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He's the one that gives you food, not the other way around. He's the one that serves you by providing all this creation. He's the giver of everything, you don't have to give him things like you're doing with all these other gods. Now what Paul is going to do, having established that God created it all, he's going to give the reason for it. You know, He's going to give the purpose of life. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Here's the reason, verse 27. That they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Here's what Paul is telling these Athenians, these philosophers, right? You want to know the purpose of life? God made you so that you would seek him and find him. God wants to know you. He wants to be found by you. The whole purpose of life is to be in relationship with this God who created you. And you didn't know his name, but I'm making him known to you. You see, this is what Paul is saying in this. Um, I love this phrase, if perhaps they might grope for him. Paul is realizing this is precisely what the Athenians have been doing. What are all those gods about? Now, you only grope if you don't, can't see. If you're in the dark. Right? Paul is saying, you've been in the dark and you've been groping, but this God is not far. He's near. I want you to open your eyes and see. You don't have to grope anymore because Jesus brought God close. John chapter 1. The word who created it all became flesh and dwelt among us. For in him we live and move and exist. And even some of your own poets have said, Quote, for we are also his children. He, he's quoting from Greek poets here. They're well known. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. This is actually pretty profound. 
Paul is saying, all your so-called gods were made by you, weren't they? They're artistic creations from your own imagination and your own hands. All right, that's not the real God. You know, we are made by him. We are, you know, Paul would say in a different place, we are his masterpieces, right? We are his artwork, not the other way around. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, okay, he's, he's introducing the topic of grace now, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. What's the application of it? Repent. Repent. By the way, that's always the application. The so what of, of any message. Now, some of you are like, repent. I don't like that word. The reason you don't is because we've you know, layered on this idea of repentance all this um, kind of negative religious baggage. So, you know, when we think about repentance, you know, some, some images that maybe come in your mind is, you know, you know well, just, just, you know, beat yourself into submission, you evil person. That's not what the word repent means. The word repent, many of you know this, you've heard it before, but for some this will be new. It means to turn from one direction to a different direction. So it's like if, if you're trying to find, uh, I don't know, you're walking... Um, from downtown Franklin, oh, and you, you know, you're going to Pinkerton Park, you know, you're heading north, that's the wrong direction. You're going to repent. You're going to turn, and you're going to go east, you see. Turn to find what you're looking for. Repent. This is what Paul is saying. This is what this repentance means. So think about this in the context of the theme of the message, which is life. What Paul is actually saying here is, turn from lifeless gods... Turn toward the true life-giving God. Turn from worshiping lifeless things. Turn toward worshiping the life-giver, the only one, you see. Paul is directing them to repent. It's a turn to change their worship. He, he talks about the resurrection. If life is what you're after, how about finding it from the God who defeated death, Right? What's the enemy of life? It's death. He's saying, saying, Jesus Christ was so full of life that it overwhelmed death. He overwhelmed death, you see. And by the way, any Christian argument that we will ever make, you know, as we're, as we're explaining our faith, you know, apologetics and other things like this, is always, always going to hinge on resurrection. Resurrection is real, then there's a life that awaits, and that we can even experience in part now, which makes all that other stuff look like lifeless idols in comparison. And this is essentially Paul's argument. He's saying, I know you're seeking after life. I know you're looking for something that's alive. You keep trying to feed these statues. You keep sacrificing to stuff that has no life in it. Why are you doing that? You think there's life there. You think it has something to give you. You're sacrificing yourself for this. Why? Because you think it's going to feed you back. It won't because it can't. But over here, there's life to be had. So much life that death couldn't even hold him in the grave because he's the author of life. You've got your collection. I've got my collection. We don't usually call them idols, 
but in a sense, that's what they are. They are other things that we worship apart from the one true God, apart from the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are thinking, no, 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 I'm a Christian. I don't lay down any other altar. I'm only worshiping Jesus. Let me define an idol for you. Let me, let me contextualize idol worship for us here in uh, 2018. An idol is anything you go to that you believe has fullness of life for you apart from the one true source of life. An idol could be a talent, a gift, a career, a person, a family. There's all kinds of things that we would go to and say, this is where life is for me. I'm going to squeeze this thing. My job, my career, my security, my my portfolio, my, my power, my identity of who I see myself to be. I think that's where life is for me. I'm going to sacrifice to that and I'm going to squeeze all the life that I can out of this. The problem with all those things is they're empty. So so here's what it is. When you're so-called laying your life down at the altar of a job or a career or, 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 or even your children, we worship them in a sense because we think they have life for us and they don't. By the way, anything that you make an, an idol out of, that you, you find your sense of, of, of life and satisfaction and fulfillment uh, uh, apart from Jesus Christ, you will eventually serve that thing because you have to feed it. You got to make sacrifices. So if you put your identity and your job or your career or your gifts or your talent or your marriage, your spouse, your children, whatever it is, someone's going to pay a price for that. If, if your idol is, is um, the good life, we want success, but we also want a good family. You know, we want beauty and we want parks and good education and we want our kids to be raised right. That's, nothing's wrong with any of that stuff, but sometimes this pursuit of the good life can turn into an idol because we think it has true life and there's no true life there. So what do we do? We change our worship. Worship is the key to all of this. Did you know every time you sin, you're worshiping something other than God? Right? That's the first commandment of the Ten Commands. Ten Commandments, number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And every time you're sinning, what you're actually doing is you're saying, I think this path over here has a little bit of life for me that I'm not sure God is going to give me, so I'm just going to dabble. I'm just going to dabble, you see whatever that sin area is. Here's what Christ would call us to. There is one source of life. Now, I want to give you a really personal illustration of this. One of my particular idols, let me grab one of these to represent this. Okay, we, we all have our collection, okay? For me, one of my core ones that I try to squeeze life out of is human approval. You know, all my life, I've just wanted people just to, to like me. You know, I didn't care if I had a lot of money. That wasn't my thing. But, but it's important that people think I'm a, a, a good guy, that they respect me, that they like me. And so I, I repented of that this week as I was preparing for this message. Here's what it looks like for me to repent. Number one, I have to name the idol. I have to say, God, I think I'm trying to get a sense of identity, not in your approval of me, not in the word of God flowing through me, but in, but in wanting these people to think I'm a good teacher. My performance, that's a sin. It's ugly. And so, Father, I, I, I've been trying to find life from this other thing. Naming that allows me to set it down. What I'm essentially doing is I'm trying to find life from your approval of me. If I hadn't named it, I don't know, it's there. I can't set it down. I name it, I set it down, and I say, help me to drink from the true source of life, which is the resurrected Christ, my identity in him. 
Help me to see myself just as a vessel of the word of God, not a performer. I'm not going to tickle your ears. I'm going to preach God's word. Some of you are going to think, good teaching. Some of you are going to think, meh, I'll sleep well at night either way because my identity is here. You see, you see how I shifted my worship? Now, this isn't always easy for me. Here's my point. You have your collection as well. You got to name them and you got to turn your worship. So let's practice, all right? I'm going to pray and we're going to practice worshiping the one true God, the resurrected Jesus Christ and allow him to fuel worship toward him rather than our own collection of idols. All right, let's pray. Bow our heads together. Our Father, we do recognize you as the giver of life. You're the creator of all things, as Paul said. There's nothing that we have ever seen or read about or imagined even that does not have its origin in you, the life giver. Secondly, we recognize that we are sinners. And for all of us in the room, some of our sin has to do with worshiping the wrong things. We try to squeeze life out of things that don't have life for us. And we do that because we're so thirsty. And we we feel so needy. And yet, God, you've given us the source. And help us as a body to continue to learn more and more what it looks like for us to drink from the source and not try to find life and these other things. Would you guide us to the true source of life? Would you allow our hearts to connect with our minds for a minute. Our minds tell us you're the one true God. Our hearts sometimes chase after all these other things. Would you align the two together? Would we overflow, even in this moment, with worship, with praise, with adoration, with a sense of you and you alone hold life for me. And this is where I'm going to seek it. This is where I'm going to grope for it. And this is where I'll find it in the resurrected Jesus, the life giver. It is in his name alone, the only name, the only resurrected one that we could possibly ask for life. In his name we pray, amen. I'm going to list, isn't that so good? I'm going to list a couple of worship songs that will fuel, as Rob says, your love for the right God, the true God. So look for those in the show notes. When you find yourself bowing to your idol, hopefully you have a better idea now after hearing that of what that is, what that idol is. How do you repent of it now? Like Rob said, you name it, then you turn away from it. Turning away from the thing to Jesus, that's it. So in my case, I'm trying to pay more attention to what I'm paying attention to. When I see the approval monster start to rear its ugly head, when I sense that the Spirit is trying to show me something that needs some attention, I'm trying to turn to Him in the moment And lean into him and do what I sense that he's telling me to do. The sponsor that um, I never had (laughs) when he rejected me or whatever, I instead of just isolating myself like I would have done, the old Carthy totally would have thought, oh, I'm just, I don't even, maybe I'll just quit. You know, that's totally what I would have done. But now... It's like I um, went to a trusted friend. You know, some things you just got to bounce off of a woman. (laughs) You know, we sisters got to stick together and we understand each other. Blair supports me. He's my biggest cheerleader. But I need other women in my life to bounce things off of. So I go to my friend. I tell her, here's where I am. I'm feeling really pulled and um, tempted to put my identity in this. And what oozes out when you're bumped that's an indication of what's really inside you. So when this sponsor sent me the rejection letter, what oozed out was my approval idol. 
all of a sudden, right, I just switch. This like a, a switch just got flipped. I went from happy, happy, happy. I got a thousand subscribers to, oh, I'm such a Eeyore. I only have a thousand subscribers. Same number. Completely different sentiment about the number. So crazy. But, you know, she helped me remember my first love. And I know that cliche gets used a lot, but it was really helpful to hear it mirrored back to me what my um, initial motivation was. The way I felt in the beginning with the launching of this podcast, I was getting full up from the true source first, then coming and pouring it all out onto you through this microphone. I started praying for you and thinking about your friendships and your relationships with your mom and your sister and your boyfriend and your husband and your kids. And I don't know, somehow it rekindled a sense of purpose and meaning for me. It felt pure because it was born out of real love. I found myself falling in love with the people around me more and more. The younger and the older women in my church, the two grown kids in my own house, my friends, my husband. It's funny how energy or money, when you spend those things, they get depleted. But love, it's so different. When you spend love, it's like it multiplies and grows It's so crazy. I remember thinking and saying out loud several times, even if nobody listens, I would do this podcast anyway. And Blair did help me say that too. You know, he's like, you're not about the numbers, so don't worry about that. Just you keep doing your best. So I tell you, you know, the Lord is always speaking. We talk about that a lot here, um, how the Spirit is always speaking to us. He speaks through His people, His Word, through prayer, and through circumstances. So if we tune into Him, we can hear Him. And He helped me to turn away from the approval idol. So it was a victory. I mean, the whole thing turned out to be a victory for me. It's like I was laying the approval idol down instead of, instead of submitting to it, which would have been isolating or quitting or whatever. This was a victory because it was exposed. And anytime an idol is exposed to the light for what it really is, a dead, lifeless thing that I was trying to put in front of God, the true God, it died. And that death produced new life resurrected life. Hallelujah. Now that will preach right there. I love this passage because the first time I read it years ago, it was like deja vu for me. See, I had kept a journal when I was little. So from the time I was like six or seven, while I was praying to idols and statues, groping in the dark, I started writing letters to someone else, another God that I knew was out there somewhere. In fact, I wrote on the front of that journal, Letters to an Unknown God. That was what I called it. Then when I heard about Jesus Christ, it was like the unknown God made himself clearly seen and known to me. It's like Rob said, the person of Jesus Christ brings God close. Next week, we're going to have Rob in for an actual interview, and I'm so excited for that. He is a born shepherd of sheep, one of the most tender servant leaders who ever lived. Rob is going to tell us about the changes that have been happening around our church over the last year, and he's going to speak from his heart about how it's affected him and his family and other relationships in his life, too. 
There's been a major change in leadership, and at my campus, we call it the transition. And it's been a lot more difficult than any of us would have ever predicted. I mean, it's for the best of the church, but you know, change can land hard. So come back for that. That's going to be a really great, interesting conversation. And here's some more info on our India trip. My sweet friend, Jody Sweet, who happens to be Rob Sweet's wife, booked our tickets and our hotel in India. So we have our dates booked for the first week in August. Cannot wait. So as you're flitting around your house, spring cleaning, start collecting your gently used dresses. We're going to have you send them to us. Then we're going to send them to my daughter's old orphanage. Davies Orphanage in Maharashtra. If you'd like to know more about this mission trip, please email me at haylovepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our partner page on haylovepodcast.com. And of course, partner with us, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and remember, you are loved. Thanks for joining me today. Till next time. Bye, love. My thanks to the heroic, handsome, most talented rock star, keyboard player, producer, engineer extraordinaire, and my best friend, Blair Masters, for setting it all to music. And thank you for joining us. Come on back, and we'll talk more about how you can find your happy by living life more connected. This is not communion, although we've got all these, you know, beautiful goblets and, you know, all kinds of of things. I've actually been nervous to have this up here next to me because I get excited when I'm preaching and I don't want to tip this one over, okay? This is real glass and crystal. Let me set this right here on this table. I'm really going on the edge here. There we go. Whew. All right. Life is here. It's not in all these empty things. Now, what's the application for us?